0: Please uh, turn with me this evening to Genesis chapter 6, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and a creeping thing, And the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We're looking, uh, friends, this evening at uh, these verses uh, here in chapter 6, and my uh, subject is uh, why the flood came, or why the world, the old world, as it then was, was uh, destroyed, and uh, the reasons... We can pick up in these uh, few verses. Such a terrible destruction the flood was. Not just the partial judgment, but the whole world. The whole world, uh, such a catastrophe as has never been seen before. Such a deluge uh, of, uh, of water to destroy all living life except for Noah and his family and those that were in the ark. So things... Must have been very, very bad and very, very evil for God to do such a thing. It's not like God, God it's not uh, something that God would do for a small thing uh, to punish in such a way. Things must have been very corrupt and very wicked. And so we read it was because, uh, and it deserved this awful act of judgment. And when we think about judgment, we can always say that God is always righteous in His judgments. He never makes a mistake in His judgments. He always acts righteously. And even in this a situation here, when I mean, it's such a horrible thing which has happened, such a dreadful event that the flood was sent upon all, all human life were destroyed except for Noah and his family. And yet, we can still say, even in the midst of that, God is righteous. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He cannot do iniquity. The fault is always on the other side. God, we'll see as we will see tonight, he withholds his judgment often. He delays his judgment. He never immediately punishes sin. Sometimes he does, but often he gives time, he gives space for people to repent And for nations to repent and and turn again uh, to him. Often he withholds uh, his hand. But people, instead of repenting, what they do is they take advantage of it. And they continue in sin. And they put off repentance, put off turning uh, to the Lord. And that space that they should have used and could have used, eventually it comes to an end. And then the judgment uh, comes. So... Uh, how long-suffering uh, God is, as we'll see. Even here, the flood didn't come immediately after God said it would come, but it came after many, many years. And we'll uh, look at that in a moment. But the judgments also of God, we could say, are sure. When God sends his warnings, we mustn't treat it lightly and think that it will never happen. It does happen. There is this this—the side, the justice of God A must-punish sin cannot overlook a sin. So a sore judgment, but also a a sure judgment. But I just want to look at these verses from two points of view. And firstly, what men saw, and you can see that in verse 2. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair. And then secondly, what God saw in verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And so we look at these uh, f- few verses. Now, verses 1 to 4, as I'm sure uh, you know, are very interesting for a, a, lo- a number of people. And they've generated a lot of discussion, and a lot has been uh, written about uh, these uh, few verses. And uh, who were these uh, sons of God uh, is the question that's often uh, asked. And the other question is in verse 4 these giants, who were these giants? Were they extraterrestrial beings or, or, or something else? some people think they were demons? Who were they? Well, there are a lot of different theories about uh, about these these phrases, and we'll mention them just in passing, but won 't really spend too much time uh, in dealing with that, but just uh, look a little bit, especially at the one on the sons of god so the, the, we need really to, uh, rather than go into all the different theories, uh, try, uh, stick with the scriptures and uh, the interpretation really, which, which makes sense. Because some people really read a lot into scriptures and uh, out of nowhere uh, things are plucked out of the air. So we're going to look at reasons why the flood was sent. Uh, the earth, here we read in verse 1, it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, who are these men? Well, we uh, we I uh, think it's the not just every all the men who are uh, present on the earth at that time, but specifically the ungodly men, because you read in verse uh, two, uh, it's the daughters that were born to those men in verse one are referred to referenced in verse two the same. Uh, daughters uh, of men that were fair. And uh, I think it's the, the men here in verse 1 is referring to the ungodly line of uh, Cain. Those who were mere men. Those who had gone away uh, from the Lord. Those who are, uh, had no, nothing spiritual about them. They were just uh, men. Uh, nothing uh, uh, spiritual, only essential earthly men. There was no religion that run away or put away from them, the religion of God, the worship of God. They had no connection with God. They were just simply living for the here and now, for everyday things, living without worship, no spiritual element, no spiritual side to them, sensual people. That was all that they were. These were the ungodly line of Cain. And to them were born uh, these, uh, these, these daughters upon the face. Uh, sorry, to them were born these uh, these daughters who were said to be fair and beautiful, and uh, we read in verse then verse one that they, they multiplied, and it was these uh, these kind of men, the uh, ungodly line, who were multiplying in opposition or uh, in co- in contrast to those who are of the believing line. So it seems like the unbelievers were multiplying and increasing much, much more than the righteous people were increasing. And the reason for that, of course, we can, we can work out from chapter 4. We read about Lamech, Lamech where he became he was probably the first polygamist, and he had two wives. And what an example he would have set to other people who would also have followed it and had, uh, had um, more wives than one. And that would, of course, generate uh, more children. So they were increasing in the, the land uh, in that sense and uh, at a very faster pace than those who are from the line of uh, Seth. So verse 2, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men that were fair. So, who were these uh, sons of God? The daughters of men, we say, are the those who came from that ungodly line of the Canaanites. But who are these uh, sons of God? Well, as I said, there are a number of suggestions. Uh, not, uh, one which is not very well not held onto by many, but uh, is uh, suggested is it could be kings or rulers. These sons. Uh, of, of God, noble people, people high up in society, and that uh, they they married the daughters of men. Well, that doesn't there's nothing wrong with that. Even if these daughters of men were just ordinary people of a lower class than the higher one, there's nothing sinful about that. So I, I do not think it can be that. A very popular interpretation is that these sons of God were actually fallen angels. And there are many even uh, believers who hold uh, to this, that these angels uh, were, were uh, fallen angels. Some even say they were good angels, which I really can't understand. But uh, they, were, they say that they were fallen angels who, when they saw the beauty of the women on the earth, they left their habitation, as Jude says, Jude 1, four. They left their habitation uh, in heaven to make to cohabit with women and to procreate uh, with them well <laughs> i found it very hard uh, to uh, to believe uh, these things suddenly it seems it's brought into the text that uh, fallen angels have adopted uh, human bodies and um, married women and are now cohabitating and uh, procreating with them and they go on to say actually that the the children that were produced that's why the children produced of them in verse 4 became mighty men and powerful men because of this combination of angels in human bodies and uh, the ordinary daughters uh, of men. But it cannot be, friends. It cannot be because angels, we know, are spirit beings. And uh, they they don't have the same DNA as uh, as humans do. They don't have the same... Uh, physical wherewithal to produce uh, children that humans do. I don't even think they have the same desires uh, that uh, humans do to uh, to procreate. So even the Lord himself said, I think and clears it up in, in Matthew 12 and verse 30, and talk about the resurrection and he says there uh, the, that the angels uh, of God which are in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So... It's, it's quite hard, it's quite difficult uh, to grasp uh, why people would, would cling uh, to this. That Here angels would come, take, fallen angels would come, take a, take a body and uh, live and communicate with a wife and a family and live in a community and wash and, and uh, then eventually uh, die. It seems uh, to me a little bit uh, ridiculous, but uh, there are a number of people uh, who do hold uh, on to this uh, as well. Well, we do read in the Bible, it's true, that angels did come and appear uh, in human bodies. Uh, We remember the time when two angels, along with the Lord, appeared to Abraham. And uh, we read about entertaining angels unawares, that's as possible. But it's always those references to angels coming in human form, always references, as far as I can see, to good angels, uh, not to fallen ones and uh, still it, was, it, was a sudden, it, was, it wasn't for a long period of time, it was for a very uh, short period of time. So how can it be and how, can, how, can, how could God permit it? Uh, it just doesn't seem natural uh, that the sons of God stands here for fallen uh, angels. It seems so out of context when you think of all that's happened in chapter 5 where we looked at the godly line, and then the, the previous chapter, the ungodly line, well, it seems to fit in better with the third explanation, which is that these sons of God is actually a reference to the godly line, to those who are believers, to those who who, who came from that line of Seth, uh, the Sethites, as they're called. In chapter 4 and verse 26, we saw how uh, in, when, in the time of Seth, There was also born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Public worship began, and it would have been recognized. Who is going to the public worship? Well, it's the sons of Seth. It's the Sethites. They're the ones who are worshipping God. Others were not going. The ones who were publicly demonstrating, giving a testimony to the unbelieving world, Uh, that they were worshippers of the Lord, while these are the ones uh, who would be known as the sons of God. So they really ought to have kept separate uh, from the ungodly. But here instead we see that they are uh, intermarrying with the daughters uh, of uh, the unbelieving, uh, ungodly line. They saw these sons of God, they saw the beauty of these women, and they lusted after them. And took them wise of all which they chose. Marriages which are based purely on lust. Marriages in which there was no thought. Well, is my spouse, is this person of any spiritual standing? Is there any spirituality about uh, this person? What about the consequences of such a marriage? What about the consequences for the children and so on? What about the consequences for the worship of God? How will this affect Family worship, will there be family worship if I get married to such a person? They never thought about these things. They only chose by the eye, chose by the lust of the eye. And it's possible that they also became polygamists. They took them wives of all. They would have followed the example of the Canaanites. Of course they would course they would in some in many senses because that's what always happens friends when the ungodly when the godly mix with the ungodly well, it's usually the ungodly who come up on top it's usually the ungodly who affect the godly and the other way around oh i've heard i met uh, women uh, a number of women who said i want to marry so and so is he a believer he's not a believer but i'll get him i'll win him i'll win him round and they go ahead with the the marriage, and they never, never, um, well, hardly ever, I should say, not never, but rarely do you find that that person has been won around to the Lord. And often, the believer has been influenced, uh, to and affected by such a, 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 a marital relationship. Has to ask the husband. Husband's not happy. Always going to church, or uh, what she can do for the Lord. The ways that she can serve the Lord are limited. All these things. Uh, will come into play whether there is a mixed uh, marriage. And so uh, that's why the Lord uh, tells us to marry only uh, in uh, the Lord. But it also has, of course, uh, implications for a church because this is not just a purely natural thing. I mean, it is, but behind it is the devil. This is a tactic of the devil to come and spoil the godly seed from whom the promised Messiah would come. Break down that wall of separation that exists between them, and he's doing the same ever since. Break down the wall of separation between the church and the world, and bring the two together. Let there be a mixing of the two. God has said, be separate, be distinct in your worship, in your lives in your in, in the worship of me be distinct in, in your behavior, and the devil wants to come and and spoil. Uh, spoil that and uh, to bring us uh, together today we hear a lot in the church about unity 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 everything everyone's talking about uh, unity we must all be united doesn't whatever denomination you come from but it doesn't really matter just be united you hear so few people talking be separate be separate be distinct uh, maintain uh, your, uh, the standards that God has given to us. Uphold uh, those standards. The purity uh, of worship. We talk about this uh, often. The purity of worship. The purity of evangelism. The world coming in with e- evangelistic uh, methods. And uh, wor- well, we know we know uh, a lot about worship. The world coming in uh, with worship as well. And the, th- the trouble is. Just like here where the people wanted these relationships, so also people want, sadly, the worldly kind of worship in the church. It's it's wanted and they're given over uh, to it. Purity in the the assembly, friends. Purity in the church uh, membership is something also that must be guarded. Now, we're not (laughs) able to always make the right decision about who comes into the church. But we must do our best as, as believers to make sure that we have a regenerate church membership, to have, that we have amongst us those who are, truly have come to know that born-again experience and uh, to be, uh, have come to repentance and to faith uh, in Christ. It's so vital uh, that that is uh, preserved and kept as well. What happens when unbelievers uh, come in? Well, that's going to affect, eventually, that's going to uh, spread, their way of thinking is going to spread uh, in the church and affect the church practice. So, you'll find church members who come from that uh, worldly sort of persuasion and who are not yet truly converted, well, they want the worldly music in the church. They're going to vote for those things, they're going to put forward those things, they're going to ask for changes in the way the church is run. We haven't done it that way, but we want to change. We want to modernize. Where would these things come from? It comes from often by unregenerate church members asking for these things and putting pressure on the leaders to introduce such things. So we have to be careful there to maintain our unique, our distinctiveness as God's people. Well, this is one of the reasons why the flood came. And in verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. I'm not going to contend continually with man uh, by my spirit, uh, the Lord says. I'll strive with him uh, uh, to repent. I'll show him his sin. I'll move his conscience. I'll prick his conscience so that he is aware of what he is doing. I'll call him to repentance. I'll let Noah, in this case, preach to him again and again and again to warn them there's a judgment coming to call them to turn and there is mercy it's a day of mercy the ark will be a testimony uh, to the people as it's in building uh, and uh, uh, a testimony of uh, what, what's to come but the lord says all these things he will do he will in this sense he is striving with with them and he strives with us by his spirit But he says, I won't do it endlessly. I won't do it forever. There will be a a time, there will be a limit. There will be a time when my long-suffering will say, that's enough. That's it. And uh, if people continue to refuse and to suppress uh, their conscience and to refuse the Lord, well, then they they will come under God's uh, judgment. But God is so long-suffering yeah even today, again and again, he strives the spirit of God strives with souls to call them to a faith in Christ, and how often people abuse that that kindness, abuse that long suffering, sort of quickly running to Christ, they take their time and, or they put it off and refuse to to respond to him. One hundred and twenty years here is mentioned as no, not as the limit the limit on man's age uh, after the flood, uh, that's not wh- why it's mentioned uh, here, but it's the length of time that God was going to give to the world, to repent, uh, and then the flood will come. hundred and twenty years well that doesn't sound very long, but it, it, it's still a long time. Some people think it was even longer. Uh, some commentators like uh, A W. Pink. Uh, I think the length of time given, the period of grace, was much, much longer. They trace it all the way back uh, to the birth of Methuselah. Methuselah, as you remember, was the grandfather of uh, Noah. And his name, uh, when translated, uh, could be interpreted something like this. When he is dead, it shall be sent. That is the deluge. So when uh, Methuselah, when he is dead, it shall be sent. It was a prophetic. Reference to the flood. And as we mentioned last week, remember Methuselah, when did he die? He died in the same year that the flood came. And perhaps uh, the, the time of God's patience was actually 969 years, the, the length of Methuselah's, Methuselah's life. Because in the very year that he died, well, that's when the flood came. God waited so long, so patient. So kind of him uh, to give so much space, and yet still people didn't turn. So verse uh, 4, there were giants uh, in the earth in those days. As I said, some people think they were uh, alien beings. or The word here is uh, nephilims. I'm sure you've come across that before. Men who were of great stature and uh, very, very tall. How tall, we don't know, uh, but it may have been due to the environment, due to their genes. But the word also means uh, a mighty or fallen ones, a feller, a feller. Uh, and it's got the idea of uh, being a bully or a tyrant. And I think that's why the word here is, is mentioned. Uh, people fell down before them in fear or uh, fell down before them because they were, they were killed by them. They op- these were people who oppressed and bullied and uh, terrorized other people. Taller, yes, they were uh, probably than others, but stronger as well. And they used their strength and their, to their own advantage, used it to terrorize uh, other people. In other words, they were violent men, uh, brutal men, savages. And this, this uh, can be seen also in, later on in, in verse 11. Uh, where we read the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. This was the other reason why God brought the flood. Violence was, was, uh, filled the earth. Again, verse 13, uh, for the earth is filled with violence uh, through them, through the people. And I think that these giants are referring to some of these uh, uh, people who were uh, violent and uh, brutal in the way that they dealt with others the offspring from these mixed marriages uh, not related really to the giants but this is something different when the sons of god came, after that the sons of god came in unto the daughters of men they bare children to them the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown again mighty men for uh, and men of renown for evil not for good but for doing uh, evil, men who were in no way uh, following that which was good, but renowned for their violence again, renowned for their their malice, infamous, we say, for evil, a reputation for thuggery and cruelty uh, is uh, how they became known. And these things uh, were uh, what led uh, the Lord to bring that great uh, deluge upon the earth. Verse 5, we turn our attention to the, the words of God And what he saw, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Not a glance, friends, not a casual sight, but a long observation. He saw everything as he does. Nothing is hid from God. He is the moral governor of the world that we live in. And he takes in and he records every infraction, every injustice, everything that is done, every sin is recorded. God saw that the wickedness of man was great uh, in the earth. What a difference. What compared to that sixth day of creation when when we read there, God looked, God saw everything that he had created, everything that he had made, and uh, there was man at the highest point of his creation, the best of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation, made in the image of God, And God said then, it was good, it was very good, everything that he had made. But now, after the world has, as it were, been in the hands of men all these years, 1600 years plus, uh, and he sees that the thoughts, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now it's bad. What's What's the judgment? Now it's very bad. Uh, things have become great uh, wickedness, uh, unparalleled iniquity was was rife, spread throughout the whole earth, not confined to a place here and there, but everywhere uh, there was this wickedness, and uh, not only the sons of Cain but also the sons of Seth it was a universal uh, wickedness and a great provocation to God, and he determined. To show uh, his uh, displeasure, well, God saw the hearts of men—not just the actions. We read even the the inner imaginations and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the thought is there not only was what he was thinking in his heart, but what he was coming up with—the plans and the intentions and the purposes of his heart from his thoughts—he would lead to uh, to plans to, to do evil. And every thought, every intention, every uh, th- thing which came up in his mind, which he intended to do, was only to do uh, something which was bad and wrong, and displeasing to God. His heart was set on evil continually, all the day. It suggests, and uh, things have degenerated into such a uh, terrible uh, state. And so, and yet, uh, and so, uh, God has no option really. Uh, but to bring the deluge. Verse 6, They repented the Lord. How did the Lord feel about it? Well, here uh, we are told in human language how God felt about it. Of course, God doesn't have such feelings as this, nor does God change His mind. It says here, God, the Lord repented. He made man on the earth and it grieved Him at His heart. But it's, it's written like that to help us, to help us to see how God felt. But all that he was seeing, all his creation, all the uh, marred now by sin, spoiled by man's hands. And this is how uh, he felt. He ruled the day that he had made a man. Oh, he repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. He regretted uh, it. You could say, perhaps as an illustration, like a father. And a father has a son, but uh, when that son is older... Well, even though he's been well-treated by his father and loved by his father and he's been provided for everything that he needs, he's been given a, a great education and he's, uh, he's been provided everything he needs in life, nothing to complain about, and yet that son maybe turns out to be a criminal and he turns out to be perhaps a serial murderer. And the father in the end says, well, I want to have nothing more uh, to do uh, with him i wish she had never been born i wish i'd been childless we hear this sometimes uh, uh, parents are uh, speaking like that of their children and this, that sort of an idea is here that uh, god has done so much uh, for man and yet uh, see what has what he has uh, become and so verse 7 uh, i will he determines to destroy man that is to wipe out man to wipe clean the, the slate to erase Man from off the earth to destroy him and all uh, living things, the beast, the creeping things, the fowls of the air, and so on. For it repenteth me that I have uh, made a man. Our friends, uh, we can see from this that sin is no small thing with a holy God. Sin is not something that we should uh, take uh, lightly, even as his people. It grieves uh, the Lord. Uh, it causes him a uh, great grief. We, we studied not so long ago, uh, grieve not the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, the, the Lord is affected uh, by uh, our sins. And so we want to be careful uh, how, we, how we walk and how we think of sin. But everything is going to be destroyed. Everything is going to be wiped off except for Noah and those who are in the ark and a new beginning. A new start is going to, uh, a new world is going to come uh, into place. Well, it's a picture, friends, that even, and maybe we'll say a bit more about it in our next studies, but it's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives in in terms of conversion. This is what God does. Clears out the old and brings in uh, something new. Clears out the, the filth and the vileness to bring in something uh, better. It doesn't mean that when we're converted that we're completely rid of our sins, but it's like it's a new beginning. The old has passed away and the new uh, comes uh, in. Do we have that, friends? Do we know that experience that we are converted, that we're new people? No, we're religious. But uh, have we had that experience of conversion in our lives where Christ has changed our hearts and our lives and brought us to walk with him in a new way, in a living way. Well, verse 8, to close, this one exception uh, was just one man uh, found and his family, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Something else God saw, Uh, he saw Noah, a man who'd come to trust in him, a man who was holding on to that worship. Think of it, friends. How difficult it must have been for him. He was the only one and the only family in the world at this time. Even the other, others of Seth's line had gone away. He is the only one uh, who is now uh, holding on uh, to the true faith. And uh, he finds uh, grace in the eyes of the Lord. He, uh, he alone, Hebrews 11 tells us, uh, had faith. He was a preacher of righteousness. He obeyed the Lord. Even when others were ridiculing him, laughing at him, making fun of him, he still stayed uh, true to the Lord. And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not because he was anything. Don't get it wrong. By the way, this is the first time the word grace is mentioned uh, in the Scriptures. But as its it's meaning is in the New Testament, it's the same meaning here. That grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. That God had mercy on Noah because of uh, uh, because of Christ and uh, not because Noah deserved anything. But Noah was one uh, who stood for the Lord in a very, very difficult time. He also trusted, uh, as a sinner, he trusted in the promised Messiah to come. And that was what saved him, not any goodness in himself. So friends, as I close, uh, this was... A little bit of this is what life was like in the days before the flood. Well, the Bible warns us there's another, flood, another judgment coming, another worldwide judgment coming, not by water, but by fire. How will we, we live our lives? Let us live like Noah. Let us follow Noah's example. Let us hold on to the things that we believe in. Let us, uh, even if other professing Christians, go a different way and go away from the scriptures and may dispense with those Christian standards that we, we hold so dear. Well, Let's hold on to those things. Let us hold on to that gospel service. Let us hold on to other things that, that we find are so precious and, and necessary and purity and that distinctiveness, purity in our lives, purity in, in worship, purity in church membership. These are things that we, as God's people, must hold on to. Well, let's (laughs) close uh, at this point.